Let me invite you, if you would please, to turn, first of all, to the Gospel lesson. We're going to start with the Gospel today and then jump back to the Old Testament lesson. But Mark chapter 8, reading verses 31 to 38, that's found on page 44 of the New Testament section of the Pew Bibles. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. But first, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank you that you are here in our midst. We thank you that you do indeed know us, each one, and that you love us and have called us your children. We pray, dear Lord, that as we gather around your word, we may hear you speak to us. Draw us closer to you. Draw us deeper into your very presence. Restore us and renew us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning, uh, but turning and looking at his disciples, he, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from Genesis chapter 17. We read first of all verses 1 through 7, and then verses 15 and 16. Genesis chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then we just saw when we talked with the children that names are, are important. Names are very important for all of us. Our names for good or for ill play a significant part in defining who we are. Sometimes our names might be very frivolous or they might be names that are very heavy for someone to carry. I remember, as I'm sure many of you do as well, the months leading up to the birth of your children, if you have any. Scouring the internet now, but when Gregor was born, the internet wasn't quite the thing that it is today. So we had stacks of baby books. I'm sure most of you, at least for your first child, had some of those baby books trying to figure out what in the world you're going to name this brand new life that's about to come into this place. It's quite a responsibility for us to name a child. Whatever you call that child, he or she is going to become. Or they might feel the need to to rebel against their name and become the antithesis of it. I remember when... uh, I think it was, it was Angus, when he was in, in, in preschool, there was a family that we knew there. They were big fans of both the Star Wars franchise and the Alien franchise, okay? They had a daughter who was in Callum's class, uh, Angus's class, but they had, a, they had another wee baby girl uh, while, while uh, they were in class. And uh, they called her Leia Ripley. Now, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, you'll get it. For those of you that don't know, uh, Leia is one of the main characters in Star Wars, and Ellen Ripley is the main character in the Alien movies. So they call their daughter Leia Ripley. People choose names for their children for a whole host of reasons. I was named after my dad. My father was born with a congenital heart defect, and he had it all his life, and my mum wanted to to name me after him in case my father died at an early age, which he did, to be a living reminder of my father. My own children have have very significant Scottish-sounding names. The name Gregor means watchman or guardian. Angus is the name of, of Scottish kings of old. Nothing to do with cows, although... Uh, Although Angus often calls himself Beefy. (laughs) The name means unique. It means the only one. Callum's name, as we talked about, means Dove. It's a shortened form of Columba, who who did in fact bring Christianity to Scotland many, many centuries ago. And Isla means island. It's a Gaelic word for island, and that's exactly what she is. A lone girl in the sea of boys in our house. (laughs) Names are important, very important. In the passage that we read from Genesis today, all three characters that we find in that passage are given names, new names that in the telling of the story we have not as yet encountered. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Now, we could talk about why these two different names, different sources, different traditions. But in this passage, what we have very purposefully for the writer 
is the sense that there's a transformation taking place, something different, something new about to occur. Abram is given a new name. Sarai is given a new name. And with a new name comes a new identity. With a new identity comes a new purpose. And with purpose, new purpose comes new life. Both of these names are given in this telling of the story. Uh, they're, they're given by God. And the names are rooted in God's purposes. And they're rooted in God's promises. And the new names reflect the future fulfillment of God's promises. Not just in the lives of these two. But universally as well. The name Abram means exalted father. Now I wonder if the name was not given somewhat ironically. Because here you have a man called Abram, exalted father, who has no children. He was old. He and his wife were, for whatever reason, unable to conceive. His name was a hope. It was a dream. It was a pipe dream, perhaps. That was his own name. The name Sarai, according to some sources in Hebrew, can mean quarrelsome or argumentative. What a horrible name to give to anybody. It's not a good name. Can you imagine living with a name like that? Quarrelsome, argumentative, annoying. That was her own name. But then the writer of this passage tells us that as God makes the promise to them, a promise that they would become the ancestors of kings, that they would have many descendants, that their, their names are changed by God based upon that promise. And these are the names that God gives them. Not their own names, but the names that God gives to them. Abram becomes Abraham, not exalted father, but the father of a multitude. I don't know if you've read earlier in the book of Genesis, but in chapter 12, there's a statement as part of the promise that says, all nations will be blessed through you, the father of a multitude. Sarai becomes Sarah, no longer quarrelsome. But she becomes the princess. That's what that name means. The one who will hold a place of honour in the lives of all those who will come from her. I hope you notice the significance of both Abram and Sarai being given these new names. The promise is for both of them. That's very, very significant in such a patriarchal time. In society, we see God transforming both Abraham and Sarah, both the man and the woman, giving them both new names, giving them both new destinies as part of the fulfillment of the promise of God. That idea in itself at that time was entirely transformative. <coughs> but Abraham and Sarah are not the only ones who are given new names by God. In this story. More significantly we find a brand new name for God. 
First time in the Bible as the books are ordered do we find this particular name. And it's the way in this passage that God identifies God's self. The writer calls God the Lord. Adonai, we've come across that name many times before. But as it's translated into the English, God says to Abram, this is my name. I am El Shaddai in Hebrew, or in English as it's translated, I am God Almighty. And God's name also comes with a command or a promise. Walk before me and be blameless. Or perhaps those who walk before me are blameless. El Shaddai. Well, typically that has been translated uh, throughout history as God Almighty. When St. Jerome translated the scriptures from Hebrew into Latin in the 4th century, he used the word omnipotens to translate this word as Shaddai. So the word has become associated with, with the might and with the power of God. And, and it's this translation that gives us the whole idea of God as omnipotent, as the all-powerful God. Now that's a fine translation. But it's not the only way to think about this word. There's so much more that lies behind this word than our own understanding of an omnipotent God. In the ancient world, there were believed to be a whole host of gods, and different parts of the Old Testament reflect these different gods that were worshipped by different people in different places. They all had very different names for their gods, and many of those names were related to the places where their gods were worshipped. You had the god of the sea. You had the god of the rivers. The god of the plains. Well, the name El Shaddai literally means the god of the mountains. In one tradition, in one train of thought, the word Shaddai took on the meaning of power and of threat and of destruction. The mountains and hills were, were strong places. They were the bedrock, weren't they? Places where you could build a stronghold. There were also places where bandits and robbers could hide out. They were threatening places. And that's where this idea of the word Shaddai, meaning power, comes from. But there's another train of thought that puts a little bit of a different spin on this word. Instead of simply meaning the God of the mountains, this name can, can mean the mountainous God. Now, let me try and put this delicately. What it can mean is the ample-bosomed God. Now, that's a very, very different picture from this all-powerful God that we get from St. Jerome. Now, I want you to be aware that this is not a sexualized image of God that I'm talking about. We'd be reading too many of our own cultural predilections into that, if that were to be so. What this image paints is for us of a mother, a nursing mother, who has more than enough milk for all of our children. It's not the image of the all-powerful destroyer God that so many in our culture love to hold up, but it's the image of the nurturing God, embracing God's children and sustaining them with this life 
giving nourishment. The whole idea of being given a new name in this passage brings us to this place too. Whom do we name? Our children, our babies, don't we? This God says, walk before me and be blameless. Who are those we tend to hold blameless and completely innocent? Our children, our babies. What's in a name? What's in this name? The call to be born anew. The call to embrace our transformed identity in this life-giving and nurturing God who embraces all of God's children so that we, in turn, might see others through the eyes of God as our brothers and as our sisters, children of God, loved by God, and through our embrace, may they too know the loving embrace of El Shaddai. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. The hymn is printed in the bulletin on page 8. I will be your God.